0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, Welcome to this morning's second Flint briefing call on the situation in Ukraine. I'm Simon Fraser, managing partner at Flint, former head of the British Foreign Office, and I'm in the chair today. I'm joined by Sir Julian King, the UK's former EU Commissioner, Josh Buckland, a partner at Flint, uh, former energy advisor to the business secretary at number 10, and Sam Lowe, Flint director and trade specialist. Since our call, Uh, Last week, Putin has doubled down on military action in the face of Ukrainian resistance. Western and other governments have mounted a highly coordinated response of sanctions, diplomatic isolation, and support for Ukraine. But the situation is grim. The crisis is still in an escalation phase. The humanitarian consequences are looking terrible in several cities, and the refugee numbers are growing. So a quick update uh, on the latest situation. Uh, As things stand, Russia has increased control of southern Ukraine, including the city of Kherson, which opens the road to Odessa. Shelling is ongoing in Mariupol. uh, But the movement of troops towards Kiev itself has been slow and and dogged by logistic problems. Uh, Aerial bombardment of the capital has begun, targeting military sites and strategic infrastructure. And an assault on Kyiv is still expected in the next few days. Last night, there were negotiations between Russian and Ukrainian teams. They agreed on the concept of humanitarian corridors to evacuate civilians from urban centers, but it's not clear to what extent those have been implemented. In diplomacy, President Macron spoke again to Putin yesterday evening, but his conditions for negotiation seem to remain unchanged. In London and Washington, the focus on the oligarchs is stepping up. And meanwhile, the UN estimates uh, that more than 1 million people have now fled Ukraine. So these deep and rapid geopolitical shifts that we are witnessing are going to leave, without doubt, uh, long-lasting implications for business and the international economy. And we're beginning now to think through the consequences of sanctions, which have been imposed necessarily in great haste. there will be retaliatory actions and we need to think about what this all means for the new political and military disposition in europe and today we're going to briefly analyze the political developments of last week we're going to look ahead at the next steps and we're going to examine in more detail the consequences in particular in the energy sector and in the international economy this call will take a maximum of 30 minutes i hope a bit less so to kick us off I'm going to turn to you, Julian. Could you just briefly summarise for us the key developments of the last
1: week and the lessons that are beginning to emerge from last week's events? Uh, Sure. Good morning. Uh, Lessons and, I think, uh, questions, because there's a lot of new questions being thrown up. So this is obviously a a dramatic seismic strategic shift. Now, shifts can dissipate. Uh, Think uh, about the Arab Spring. Uh, But this feels certainly feels more enduring. Now, there are features that are emerging fairly clearly already. Uh, Reinforced Western solidarity, uh, a big shift in the priority given to defence in NATO, but also in the EU. And that's reflecting shifts in in national um, policy, particularly Germany, that's overturned decades of policy in a week. Uh, The the multilateral system is uh, coming under real strain although I think UN agencies may have yet a big role to play on the humanitarian side, helping displaced people. We have an isolated, revanchist Russia. I think we have China trying to work out what all this means for them. So we are gonna end up with a a new militarized border. Uh, I mean, it's depressing, Uh, a new iron curtain in Europe. Where that line falls, as far as Ukraine is concerned, I think is unclear. And there's still a debate about whether NATO's borders uh, are going to move. Uh, It's not clear, at least to me, what China knew, what Putin and Xi said to each other. Uh, But I can't think that Putin's actions, particularly reinforcing Western solidarity, uh, necessarily, you know, is in China's interests. So I'm a bit sceptical about talk of a Russia-China axis on all, all of this. Uh, That said, I mean, the focus on Europe does make it harder for allies to tilt to the uh, Indo-Pacific. And, you know, it may well be that in the end it's up to the US to to manage China uh, after all. Other features, I think, are only beginning to emerge. Uh, What what is going to be the the real world fallout of the fact that we're using sanctions effectively to wage economic war? Now, what kind of impact is that going to have on the international economic system? There's obviously pressure for further decoupling across trade, supply chains, energy tech, wider economic resilience. Where's that gonna take us? Uh, How are we gonna deal with the inevitable economic uh, fallout, particularly uh, inflation? We were starting to emerge from COVID. We were looking to reduce state intervention and support. I mean, is that still gonna be the direction of, of travel or will we see new forms of intervention? If we're going to live with a new Iron Curtain or at least an, an armed frontier across Europe but what, what's that going to mean for other international relationships with, with Africa uh, where, where I note some of the African countries have been pretty firm on not withdrawing national frontiers by force uh, with the Gulf who were all over the place to start with but appear to be firming up in their uh, traditional alliance with, with the US and the West. With India who show no inclination at the moment to take sides against Russia, who after all provide over 50% of India's um, arms. What's the new situation mean for the UK? Uh, We're gonna have to look again at the assumptions in the integrated review. Uh, Might we need to look again at the big political call that this government took uh, against any structured foreign and security cooperation with the EU? And I think it's interesting that this Truss is going to uh, an EU council today. Uh, So there are some big questions here. The situation is going to be very difficult for some time to come, and as well as reacting to the current events, obviously we need to be planning for that longer term.
0: Thank you very much, Julian. An awful lot has happened in one week. Uh, We've sort of been focused on following events day by day, and as I said earlier, we've got to begin to start to think through the longer term consequences, some of which you have sketched out for us there. So uh, grateful for that. Let's turn now to Josh. Uh, the West has so far, Josh, avoided uh, including uh, energy exports in the sanctions. Uh, it's clear that this crisis has huge implications for the EU and for the UK, uh, perhaps more the EU uh, in terms of energy. Could you tell us you know, how their uh, uh, energy policy has been affected so far and how you see this potentially developing as the situation deteriorates further. Now, is energy going to become part of the sanctions? Uh,
2: thanks, Simon. I, th- I think in short, the, the impact has been seismic. Firstly, you've got the price issue. Um, the European kind of energy market, particularly on gas, was pumping out sky-high prices even before the conflict. And now prices are back at record levels, um, topping 400p per therm. This is obviously creating political pressure it's generating real hardship for households and that hardship is only really starting now as the costs feed through over the course of this year it's also starting to impact business productivity and ultimately feed through into other inflationary pressures clearly an element of that price increase is driven by market speculation and jitters around future escalation but there are real structural reasons to think prices will stay high for longer which will obviously add to the political pressure and also assume a fundamental change in policy over time. But clearly, price and increasing in prices is one thing, but energy security is enough to matter entirely, and that's an area that is getting increasing focus as the conflicts escalates. I think we haven't seen, as you say, any direct sanction activity in relation to energy thus far, but there are murmurings that are starting to increase that if the military situation on the ground worsens significantly, the reputation of political price of, of the European countries to continue to buy Russian gas could simply become too high. That could become the point where the EU especially have to look at options to reduce directly and proactively now their reliance on Russian gas, which currently makes up around 40% of total supply, obviously more in some countries than others. Interestingly, you're already starting to see some voluntary action from companies to start doing this. There's There's companies already acting to reduce their gas supply contracts with Russian suppliers. And clearly, that's a sign of what could come at a more national level over the course of the coming months. Obviously, there is also the chance that Russia itself acts if it decides that the sanctions are creating too much pressure. It may look to pile political pressure on the European Union as a result of stopping supplies. But that feels potentially more unlikely, given obviously the importance of oil and gas revenues as a source of foreign exchange. You're already starting to see these kind of growing concerns around energy security lead to some near-term policy change. There's talk around um, European countries looking for alternative LNG supplies. You're already seeing talk, especially in the UK, around the acceleration of renewable investment. Clearly, any of that action is unlikely to have an impact in a material way in the near term. Ultimately, the options that they're looking at really will have long-term payoffs. But clearly, you may get into a world in the extreme sense where you look at even more radical action like restricting demand. And obviously that adds to the political picture. Finally, just on the UK, it's as you say, slightly less alarming. The UK is less reliant on, on Russian gas, but clearly the price impact potentially are more acute as the UK actually relies on a gas for a larger proportion of its total energy consumption. You're already starting to see that feed through into household bills with talk around bills going up by a further thousand pounds a year for the average household in October. That's simply going to pile on the political pressure on the government to act on energy bills and the chancellor is due to obviously make his economic statement later this month and cost of living will will be a key theme within that. I think ultimately rising energy prices are likely to be the most tangible impact of the war in most European countries. But clearly, as the security concerns grow and the military escalation continues, that could, the situation could get worse. Thank you, Josh. And presumably a number of those effects are
0: not going to feed through until Uh, later this year and into next winter when uh, the energy demand will go up again. But uh, we definitely need to keep an eye on the whole energy picture. Uh, Thank you for setting it out in the way you have. Turning now then to you, Sam, if I can, Um, we're following the sort of daily barrage of headlines about new sanctions, whether it's uh, on companies, banks, through the SWIFT system, individuals, um, could you begin to unpick for us what the emerging real world economic consequences of this invasion and the response in sanctions uh, is likely to be?
3: Yes, thank you, Simon. The headline is it's not looking good for Russia, uh, in particular, at the moment. In that Russian inflation is expected to hit fifteen percent uh, by the end of the year, GDP to four by five percent this year. The S and P's cut Russia's credit rating. The ruble's down 30% since the invasion, and and the thing I'd say here is there's more to come. Uh, Some of the Russian countermeasures have been effective to a degree. So, for example, the measures forcing private companies to sell foreign exchange earnings are propping up the currency for now and offsetting some of the restrictions placed on the central bank. The, The Russian stock exchange is also still closed, which is preventing a bit of a fire sale that you might otherwise... See, in terms of the wider economic impact, we've seen the impact, uh, we've, see, we've seen uh, the price of wheat uh, going up. Uh, Aluminium reached record prices yesterday. Price of oil is, 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 is well over $100 a barrel now. But I think it's useful to take a step back and have a think about the impact of the financial sector sanctions, in particular on Russia's ability to trade with the world, and particularly the sanctions that exclude Russia's largest banks from US and UK financial markets and cut off a number of their banks from the swift messaging service. And what with half of Russia's trade being denominated in either dollars or sterling, these measures just make it really, really difficult for Russia to trade internationally. And conceptually, this is quite interesting because the Western financial sector sanctions function as a de facto counter sanction on itself in that the requirement to clear transactions through non-sanctioned correspondent banks or intermediaries and ensure compliance with sanction rules more broadly create new frictional costs for all firms trading with Russia, even those that are exempt. And this serves to both front load the pain for exposed companies, but also reduce Russia's ability to apply painful countermeasures, although we still might see... Russia introduced some specific export bans in an attempt to force Russian producers to reorientate towards new markets uh, in China, India, Pakistan and, and, and elsewhere. One, and I suppose if we think about things that have just happened recently, one of the newest uh, measures that the West has introduced as a possibility is, is, is the revocation of Russia's WTO status. So yesterday, Ukraine invoked the national security exception, which some of you might remember from the Trump trade war eras. Uh, to suspend its obligation to Russia under the WTO agreements. In practice, this means it is it can freely discriminate and levy tariffs on imports from Russia. But it's also called on others to do the same. And Canada uh, yesterday said that it would uh, revoke Russia and Belarus' most favoured nation status, which in English means, again, that Canada would be free to levy whatever tariffs it wanted on Belarusian and Russian imports. And has said that it will levy a 35% tariff across the board uh, on imports from Russia and Belarus but but there's going to be more to follow the eu member states are discussing doing something similar today and Bernd langer the chair of the european parliament's international trade committee tweeted in support I would say that there's decreasing marginal returns on new sanctions at this point. But, of course, it still increases frictional costs for those transacting with Russia and for those that aren't caught by the existing sanctions. Alongside all of this, you've got the freight disruption uh, that's going on. And this is a result of both the financial sanctions, but also voluntary decoupling and also other sanctions. For example, the UK's ban on Russian ships docking at UK ports. Um, I would say that this collective incoherence of and confusion derived from the specific US, EU, UK, and and others sanctions is in itself a sanction that is greater than the sum of its parts. You could, you, you could argue that the West has in a way weaponized uncertainty, because trading with Russia now is just very very difficult, and you only really want to do it if you absolutely have to. And this decoupling, we can we can see across the board, you have the sanctions induced decoupling with Boeing Airbus suspending uh, spare parts maintenance and technical supports to firms in Russia, you also have leased Irish aircraft being recalled. uh, But you also have the voluntary decoupling. And I'm I'm not going to go through a whole list of companies, you you can look them online, but lots of companies pulling out of Russia. And it and and just to conclude, it will be interesting to see what happens with medicines, which are exempt from many of the sanctions, and delivered by firms with experience of navigating the red tape uh, vis-a-vis their experience with Iran, but, but they're still having issues, uh, particularly with, 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 with the SWIFT uh, bands.
0: Thank you very much, Sam. I mean, that's a very interesting survey of the con- potential consequences uh, of the sanctions measures, which, as we said, were imposed in haste and uh, will have some unintended effects. I like your point that although you know, most people are saying the Western response has been highly coordinated, in fact, there is a certain incoherence because of the differentiation between the different sanctions packages, which adds to the complexity. So, 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 To you, Sam, and and you, Josh, actually, uh, let's look at that question of complexity and cost for business and how businesses are therefore beginning to respond to that. What are the choices that they are now facing uh, and what are the actions that they're going to take? Let's start with you, Sam.
3: I'll just be brief on this I I think the frictional cost of doing business with Russia even where possible is is enormous so the questions that businesses have to ask themselves is is it worth it are there alternatives and can you live without imports from or access to the Russian market and that will determine uh, the course of action.
0: Okay thank you very much Josh do you want to pick up on this?
2: I think on the energy side, things are changing fast. Despite COP26 um, being less than four months ago, it feels in some ways like it was four lifetimes ago. Governments across Europe, including in the UK, are starting to talk more principally about homegrown energy. The focus is now on shrinking the reliance on Russian gas, doubling down on obviously low carbon investments and accelerating those to the extent that that is possible. But also, interestingly, starting to look at domestic oil and gas production again. Um, You're potentially seeing the UK make significant commitments to new oil and gas. And clearly, obviously, that doesn't necessarily sit with the focus on net zero and decarbonisation that dominated 2021. I think clearly the the political attention is switching back to security and cost. That is a pendulum and a political pendulum that quite often swings back. But clearly that will have some profound impacts um, as we think about future long term business policy and also commercial prioritisation. I think for businesses, there's there's a, there's some short and medium-term questions, Firstly, on the short-term side. Clearly, when we talked about the voluntary self-disconnection from Russia, there is an immediate question for businesses about how they calibrate that in the energy world. How are their reliance on Russia at an individual level? Should they be going further, both voluntarily um, as well as obviously thinking about the changing political circumstance on sanctions? Then there's a kind of longer-term question around how they recalibrate low-carbon investments in a very different political environment. Clearly, there will be a focus on what other benefits new low-carbon products can deliver around energy security, but also how they can help with things like managing productivity in a high-cost environment and also generating economic opportunity. And I think then finally, there is a more interesting question on self-sufficiency. If the focus now in the West is going to be around energy self-sufficiency, what are the right mix of technologies to deliver that in the long-term and also what fundamental changes are needed to get off gas quicker and reduce import dependency. And that's a question that's already started in the European Union. You expect, we expect to see some sort of package of measures next week and also at a member state level where countries like Germany are quite significant changes in their overall policy dynamic. So in, in short, I think nothing can be taken for granted. There are a series of short-term actions that are gonna be taken, but really we're only starting to think about what the long-term implications could be. So, Okay. Thank you very much, Josh, for setting that out for us. And we will,
0: of course, be following those issues. And as you say, we're expecting new announcements and measures uh, in the, uh, on energy policy in the EU uh, shortly. So we're now coming towards the end of the call. Um, uh, before, I, I've going to sort of look forward to a couple of the events that are happening today and in the near future. But just before I do that, Julian, if I could come back to you, uh, I mean, clearly, uh, things are, as we've said have moved very fast. We talk a lot about the US, EU, and UK, but it's worth noting that action has been. You know, countries like Japan and others have also. Uh, taken action in a way that may actually have surprised uh, President Putin, who might have thought that he had diversified, for example, his his hard currency reserves in a way that would enable him to uh, countermeasures. But it looks like he may have been hit harder than he thinks. Do you want to give us um, a, a sort of reflection on uh, that? How uh, Have you been surprised by uh, what has been done? How do you think it will evolve in future? And uh, what are the sort of pressures, therefore, that are going to come from the political side
1: on the business world? Well, you're right, of course. We've seen action from um, uh, Japan, Canada, um, Korea. There's there's, there's a, a, an upsurge of um, revulsion at uh, the events that uh, Russia have unleashed that Putin has unleashed in in Ukraine, uh, and I think that that is uh, likely to strengthen in, in in the near term with some of the effects that um, Sam and Josh have been talking about. But I also I just wanted to come back briefly to this um, question of of how the sanctions and uncertainty around the sanctions are are are, are working as the sort of vice. Titans. I can see from a point of view of, of individual uh, businesses that, that, they face, that they face some difficult um, policy decisions. There are obviously legal constraints. Uh, there are compliance requirements that they will um, uh, want to respect. Uh, but there are other pressures. You, you, you mentioned the political pressures. There are pressure, reputational pressures. Uh, there are pressures from uh, public opinion, public sentiment, Uh, that bear upon businesses and of course there are the views of their own staff and uh, employees which they'll want to be taking into account as they think think about their future policy on all of this I mean I don't want to be melodramatic uh, but uh, we are seeing we're seeing history being written right now unfortunately in blood on the ground and uh, businesses I'm sure will want to think about which side of history uh, they want to be on Simon.
0: Okay, thank you very much for that. Um, you are being melodramatic, but we need to be melodramatic. I mean, the scale of these events is, is extraordinary. So let's, let's wind up the call at this point. Um, there, there will be ongoing diplomatic and other action. Uh, today, NATO, EU and G7 foreign ministers are meeting There's going to be an EU Economic Sovereignty Summit on the 10th and 11th of March. Those are just two of the events that we are looking forward to. We're going to keep following this with regular updates from Flint, either every 24 or 48 hours through the week ahead. And alongside those, we are doing a series of deep dives on some of the key issues. So we've already looked at financial services, energy, cyber and technology, and we'll be doing other uh, sort of sectoral analysis Uh, of that sort as well. So please, uh, if you want to get those, make sure that we are sending them to you. We will be putting them out uh, widely. And also, if anybody wants a tailored discussion or a seminar or a board briefing with the Flint team on any of these issues, uh, please do get in touch with us and we can organise that. Meanwhile, thank you for joining this call and have a good weekend. Goodbye.